Hello and welcome to the latest Business Leader Insight. And do we have a treat for you today? We are speaking to none other than Jordan Belfort. Uh, Jordan was depicted by Leonardo DiCaprio in the hit movie, The Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, he's a very, very famous uh, businessman, entrepreneur and investor. And we'll be talking to him today about NFTs, leadership, investing, his life and much, much more. So we really are in for a cracker today. And thank you again to our presenting partner, Nightstone Capital. Thank you again for joining us today, Jordan. Really looking forward uh, to this interview. I'm going to crack straight in to uh, the questions. Now in the movie, The Wolf of Wall Street, you were depicted as being somebody uh, and a leader that people fiercely rallied around. What would be your advice for leaders looking to galvanize their business and take it to the next level? I, I think that culture is a really important thing. And I think one of the things that companies often overlook is they they don't value human capital um, as much as they should. And I think that now with the way the market, the labor market is so tight and people don't seem to want to work anymore, um, but that's not really true. They don't want to have a life that work sucks and life is good. Like they just, I can't wait till Friday. You know, thank God it's Friday mentality. I think people want to feel like they have a life every day and they're not just you know making a living they're building a life as they work you know for me you know building a culture that is fun it's exciting it's, that makes people feel inspired you know if you got one of the great movies i love is jerry Maguire. remember jerry Maguire? yeah yeah yeah, yeah tom cruise there's a great line in there that renee zellweger says when you know jerry Maguire, tom cruise leaves his, his sports management company and and you know and he's talking about like oh i'm gonna get you dental or health insurance and she's like you know all I want is to be inspired. Like, you know, why did she leave? Because I just want to be inspired. You know, I wasn't inspired. So I think it's for a leader nowadays, I think it's so important to be inspiring, to inspire your people. It's not just about making a paycheck and, and punching a clock. It's about, about a vision that you have for the future and people buying into that vision. And I think great leaders are, are are visionaries, and I don't mean like uh, Steve Jobs like that. I mean like, like that. I'm telling you, just a visionary. Whatever it is that you're doing, that everybody is working towards a common vision and mission, and people feel valued. And it's not just about paychecks. You know, it's often I would say, listen, if you're really if you're a great leader and you're a visionary, people will work for you and take less money because they they feel inspired. They want to be inspired, and they feel like they're building something and creating something. And also, I think it's great to also create situations where people make them feel like owners, give people stock options or small profit sharing. I've always done that. Whenever any company, I always try to share the wealth with employees and make everybody. That's why Stratton was amazing. Even the, the secretaries made tons of money. Everyone mm -hmm. felt like they were part of, of a team. And I think it's so important now, especially in a tight labor market. I just you mentioned Stratton and, and you know, if you had a business, well, I know you have business now, but and, and there's all this work from home stuff. Would you want people in the office, Jordan? I would. I mean, of course I would. Um, but it's a broad question. Some businesses, by their nature, they can they can function well and people are not in the office. And in others, uh, it's crucial that they're in the office. Um, I would like to think that, you know, in, in most cases that at least happen in the office three days a week or some hybrid, at, at, at least have people together. I found it very difficult to be as um, efficient where everybody is working from home and it's decentralized. There's a, a lack of sharing that happens and, and ideas that, that um, you know, just the cross-pollination of ideas and energy 
I think for a sales force, it's, it's, it's very difficult to build a successful sales force unless they're really high level experienced people and self-starters. For the most part, that's the death sentence for a sales force is to be working from home. So, um, you know, when it comes to a coder, I, mean, I guess if it's someone that's just putting headphones on and coding and sitting there looking at their own screen, I guess those sort of jobs are probably more geared towards working from home. Um, so I guess you, have, you can't answer that question that generally. It's got it depends on the job, but I still think that there's a massive advantage to people being together and the camaraderie, the energy, the team spirit, and the exchange of ideas and knowledge that happens when everyone's together. And it's quite a difficult question to ask, but I always like when you said just pick up the phone and start dialing in to, to, to a salesperson. Like if you know, there'll, there'll be some people who are in sales roles, and you, you know what it's like. It can get quite when you're not selling it, it can be quite difficult. What what would be your motivational thing to say to someone who's in sales and and they need that little boost? And you know, uh, yeah, just 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 what 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 you feel on that really? Number one, so I think one of the keys for for motivating salespeople is you can't just motivate a salesperson by you know saying come on, pick up the phone, and start dialing. You know, it's also about giving them the skills that they can be effective when they pick up the phone and start dialing. So it's Stratton and all the companies I've ever you know ran or 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 I do, I do a lot of consulting. When I when I talk about motivation, it's always a combination of motivation and skills training giving people the skills they need to succeed massively at any job. So without that, motivation becomes nonsense. And you can't say you're the best, you're the best, you're the best. kick ass, come on. And they're not. They, they actually are not that good at what they do. You have to make someone better at what they do. So give them, actually teach them what they have to do. Give them the skills they don't have them and reinforce those skills. And I also believe that, that that's one thing. So it's not just motivation. It's motivation combined with skills training. Secondly, is that motivation every once in a while doesn't do that much in other words mo motivation is like a it's like a warm bath it feels really good and you should probably take one every day but it doesn't really do much for you so motivation has got to be daily it wears off so it's like each morning i would give a meeting each afternoon now some industries it's not possible but if you're running a, a really you know a, a dynamic sales force you you need to be giving motivational sessions almost daily to these people sometimes even more than once daily because their heads go up and down like their emotions arise and fall based on the last sale so um that's a crucial thing um is that's not just motivation and then also each, each individual is motivated slightly differently so you want to make sure you understand that you know you know what represents pain to someone or, or if you're trying to motivate yourself you know what are the things that cause you pain and what things cause you pleasure and then use those things to motivate yourself on a daily basis Thanks, Jordan. Some really uh, good advice there. And I just want to now touch on failure uh, a little bit. Do you think uh, you need to f to fail to be successful in business and life? You know, probably ninety five percent, ninety eight percent of entrepreneurs will say, you know, you know, failure is an integral part of success, right? You know, we, we, as long as you don't live in your failures or become your failures, you know, you know, you learn from your failures, you grow from your failures, you you become stronger from your failures you get resiliency right you build muscle from that yeah it'd be great if you never failed ever just everything you did worked, but it's just simply not possible even someone that would appear like a zuckerberg you just started facebook and it worked he's got his he's got his failures all the time with your know, micro failures within his overall success so uh, i think failure is an integral part of success and you need to you know the lessons are in your failures you need to learn from your failures but don't become them or like you start thinking i'm a failure you know 
smart people, successful people fail and they learn from that. They grow from it. They get better and they sort the success. Fine. And I just want to also, what I want, you know, I've seen you on TikTok, social media. How, how different do you think your life would have been if you would have had social media earlier? I, that's a good question. I, I think we, I always say a lot of what happened and was able to happen was the, we didn't have this, you know, <laughs> everyone running around with the camera. It's like, you know, it's, it, it, it changes the, the dynamic massively. So it's, you know, you got to really uh, be a lot more careful now with the things that you do and the things that you say, um, you know, everything is getting memorialized and taped. So I think that, you know, like you just saw this guy, what happened with, what's his name from uh, the Barstool sports guy, Portnoy, you know, he's, he's getting attacked, you know, you know, from multiple directions right now. And he's defending himself online and, uh, and whether he's making the right move or wrong of doing that, I think, I think he needs to defend himself for sure, but you have to be very careful. So I would have been a lot more careful, I'm sure. And do you, do you, do you, do you worry, Jordan, does, does it bother you that, that you might get abuse online or things like that? Or is it, is it, is it water off a duck's back now? Being haters, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, how, you know, do they bother you, or or, or you just kind of, you know, brush I kind of like the haters. I mean, I, I think that you know, the haters to me don't bother me at all. Like, you know, I used to have a lot more of them, but like, what happens? I have so many more fans than haters. So my fans attack the haters, so they're you know, they they don't really they get overwhelmed by by people that are fans, but still haters drive engagement. When they say negative things, then people start a conversation, and then it goes on and on. So like for me. It doesn't bother me at all. I kind of like it. It doesn't happen that much. Like I said to my wife, you can't look at the comments. Like you know, you know, you like you go crazy because people are vicious online. They're just absolutely vicious. And when I feel like for me, it doesn't bother me personally. But for a lot of young people, I feel really bad. They say terrible things about, like really bad things about people. So I think those people are, are cowards. You know, they never would do it if it's face to face. You know, they they hide behind a screen name and um. You know, if you're going to go out there and, and and be relevant and try to be relevant, you have to expect that you're going to have your detractors. You have to learn to not let that stuff bother you. Remember that most people who are hating are just very angry themselves and, and bitter and, and, and negative. So, you know, they're probably not living a very good life. The pandemic has seen a rise of people starting other businesses, becoming entrepreneurs. Do, do you think the kind of that, that sort of nine to five job Monday to Friday, is that going to disappear? And you're going to see more people becoming entrepreneurs and, and making money for themselves? I think so. I do. I, I had this talk with someone, uh, this conversation with someone uh, yesterday uh, in, in depth. I, I think, yeah, I think there's been this major shift. And I always, I've been saying this for years, like that, 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 that a nine to five job for most people is not a path to making a lot of money and, and achieving financial security. It really is a dead end for most people. Now, you know, sometimes it's different, you know, for people, professionals that are, you know, that are really have a path to make a lot of money. But for most people, a nine to five is a very, very tough way to secure your financial future. You're, gonna, you're making someone else rich. Now, the world does need nine to five workers. And I would never say I would never demean one and say, oh, you're you know, how could you do that? So I don't think it's that's not my opinion on it. But if you're OK not living a financially empowered life and not making a lot of money, then there's nothing wrong. And, and, a, and a lot of people are okay with it. And that's okay. I mean, it, it's, it's about what your, what your belief systems are and, and what your vision is for your own future, what your standards are. So like, if, if you're okay with it, there's nothing wrong with it at all. But if you are trying to get rich, if you want to make a lot of money or you want to live an empowered life financially, 
most nine to five jobs are, are, are not going to get you to that place you want to be. Uh, I just want to move now on to the world of NFTs. You recently joined the lucrative business of NFTs with a $440,000 purchase of a crypto fund. Can you just tell us about this? Well, I think I think it's it's going up. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's a good investment. Um, so I, I think that the NFT space is is, is new. It's, it's very exciting, and um, I think that you know, CryptoPunks is very interesting because it was the first real project that it got serious traction. And while the price, it might seem absurd. Like I have this thing. I'll like, I'll show it to someone. Like my, I showed it to my wife. I'm like, hey, what do you think this is worth? She's like. Twelve dollars. I'm like, okay, well, you can kiss your career as an art, as an NFT appraiser goodbye, you know. And uh, um, but yet, if you show them someone that that really knows about NFTs, that understands the community, uh, they, oh my god, like it's the greatest thing ever. So like, there's this really weird disconnect, right? And and I think that's what kind of shocks people. But like, if you go back in history and you look at like you know modern art and things like people say like it's like a monkey throwing paint on on a canvas. Oh, it's the best thing ever, five million dollars. Well, like um, you know, so you really you know who's to say what is amazing art and what's not? In this case, there's a couple of things driving it. Number one is the communities that are built around these collections. So you have very passionate people about cryptocurrency, about decentralized finance, and also about this idea of the up and coming metaverse, which you, I'm sure you know it is, and the readers, I'm sure we'll discuss that later. So uh, people like almost, it's like on the bleeding edge of what is the future. So I think this represents that as well. Then there's the idea of just simple of scarcity, that there's, you know, just this X amount of these things. And then third, when it comes to crypto punks is the fact that they, they're owned by very, very wealthy people for the most part, meaning that they're not in the hands of flippers. People that own a crypto punk are really long-term holders of sticky. So there's not that many of them on the market. They're not being traded, so to speak. They are being collected. It's this thing that where you can kind of count on the fact that even in a down market, even if NFTs will, you know, go down, they will at some point because all things go up and down over time. Yeah, every market is a cycle, right? Uh, I think CryptoPunks will, will probably be the uh, the Bitcoin of NFTs. That that's how I look at it. So um, to me, it seemed like a pretty solid investment. I thought it was pretty cool, and I and I was advised by someone younger than me, which means by definition, knows a lot more about NFTs than me. <laughs> you, you kind of touched on it there. So just just, just briefly, in terms of like the uh, uninitiated, so the people who don't know about NFTs, first time you've heard about them, what what why should they invest? I wouldn't I wouldn't tell anybody to you know I'm not tell anyone to invest um, because that's a personal decision, right? So, but I would, I would, I would, I would urge people to to look at NFTs and, and educate themselves about cryptocurrency, about you know non fungible tokens in general. I think there's a lot of use cases for these, and also about the metaverse, which is really you know what's coming next in terms of the web, what people call Web three, and and the sort of you know this idea that there's going to be a paradigm shift in how we get information, how creators get paid for generating information. Let me give you a metaphor for this. Okay. So an NFT is um, essentially means it's a, it's a, a, it's a digital signature that it's authentic. It's an authentication. So it could be a one of one, a one of 10, one of a thousand, one of 10,000, right? But you know that that is indeed what it's supposed to be versus, you know, how do you know, uh, how do you know that a painting is not 
uh, copy. How do you know it's authentic? Well, they pay art appraisers and authenticators a tremendous amount of money. They have things like provenance. Like what is the history of the piece? Then every once in a while, an unknown piece emerges and often it's fraud. Sometimes it turned out the, the, the artist created something with no one knowing. When no one has a real way of knowing what is real and what's not. They analyze the brushstrokes. They analyze the pigment, the paints, right? With NFTs, it's code. It's, it's literally, it's, it's, it's a code, like crypto. So they actually have these signatures that are very, you know, they're almost impossible to, to counterfeit. So you know that you're getting what you're supposed to be getting. One use case is art, right? Is, thing, is a collectible or a trading card or any, anything that's, you know, that's, that you want to, you know, say, okay, that's, that's, it is what it's supposed to be. But I believe that NFTs will be used for so much more than that. Like, for example, in the United States, one of the, least efficient markets is for title insurance on homes. Like when a title, when a home gets bought or sold, there's a chain of title, right? And they use this outdated system where it's done by county, by county. Some of it's not even computerized yet. So, you know, you could use um, non-fungible tokens, NFTs to authenticate homes. You could take a home and divide it into a hundred pieces even and, and sell little pieces of that. I believe that in the future, you're going to, in the immediate, in the near future, you're going to see many, many use cases for these it's called tokenization, where you take something and you uh, authenticate it with code or divide up into small pieces, and each one of those pieces is authentic through the code. Thanks, Jordan. Some, some interesting uh, information there. Um, as, as you will have seen, McDonald's, Disney, and Marvel have taken their first steps into NFTs. If you give us a crystal ball look into the future, how long until NFTs are completely mainstream and blockchain used in, in other industries like you've mentioned? I think within the next five, at the at the outside, 10. And if you would have asked me this two weeks ago, I might have said maybe, I would have said more like 10. And now I'm thinking maybe, you know, two to three because, um, you know, because of Facebook's announcement, you know, are they changing their name to Meta? So Meta is short for Metaverse. And Metaverse is this weird, like, you know, virtual world where, you know, um, people are going to basically, instead of going into a bar, you could theoretically go into a the metaverse bar, a metaverse bar, which is like a, a virtual bar where you're going to have your own avatar and, and it's going to be virtual everything. Now, I, I know it sounds wacky, right? And it kind of is wacky, but like, I remember when my son was young and playing video games all the time, he was like chasing after virtual lives and virtual emeralds and bananas and, and I'm like, Carter, you're never going to meet a girl if you sit here and just sit all day long and, and in the virtual world. But meanwhile, he just was crazy for this virtual world. And what happens is the brain gets the same dopamine rush from all these virtual levels and virtual bananas and emeralds and bags of gold and lives. And, and, and so people again get caught up in this in this virtual world. So, so the metaverse really represents this like that next level up from what we have right now, where you go on the internet into a chat room, well, soon it's going to be a metaverse. So they say is where they're going. Uh, Facebook obviously wants to be, you know, a major place. They even changed their name to meta. Imagine going into a, a you're going to, a, say, a place called Decentraland, which is one of the companies doing this, right? And you have a party in Decentraland. They go into your house and you have your NFTs on the wall and, and like it shows what you own. The same way people use art as a status symbol right now, right? You could use NFTs. The darker side is also, it's, you know, art is one of the great ways that people move money around the world, right? So um, obviously NFTs can be used for the same thing, for very wealthy people looking to move money effortlessly um, and in a way that's unregulated. So I think it's it be used for that as well. 
that's a really good point, uh, Jordan, there about how blockchain can be used in, in wider society. But, but what would you say are the risks to this and downsides to NFTs and the metaverse you, you've described? I don't, I don't like the way it feels when I think about it. Like, I, you know, I think that the, the, we keep getting further and further away from, you know, human interaction. And I, I don't think that's a good thing. Listen, I, I couldn't imagine myself, you know, being in the metaverse and really making that my, you know, like, you know, instead of going out and experiencing the, the world as it is. I, when I was when I was nine, my father brought home a game called Pong, Coleco Pong. And, and he hooked up Fallot TV and my brother and I were like, oh my God, the future is like, boop, boop. It was like a ball. Boop. It, was, you know, it was tennis. <laughs> and we watched this on the TV and we were blown away. But now it's like the, the, real, the realism of these video games, it's shocking. Like when you, you know, um, it's, it's unbelievably realistic. And as computing power gets more and more, um, you know, uh, it makes things more and more realistic. You, I mean, you're gonna go into these worlds with, v, with some of VR glasses. You're, you're gonna feel like that you're there. So, it, it, you know, I, I, again, the downside to me is that I think that uh, human beings should be interacting more in the real world and less online. But you know, COVID certainly was the the instigator of this paradigm shift where people, are, you know, we're getting our food delivered into our homes, where people are working from home. So this metaverse represents the next level up from that. Um, so I think that's one downside. I think another downside certainly is on the investment side. I think there's a lot of uh, stuff out there that that um, it, like NFTs that are, that are worthless that are being that a lot of money grabs that are going on right now, where um, you know people are getting in there making money quickly, and um, a lot of these are going to be worthless one day uh, NFTs. But I think if you're careful and you buy good ones, and good ones defined as, uh, for example, ones that 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 have already have communities built around them that are, are solid and they're also appraisal companies that are popping up right now to appraise nfts i think which is a really good thing and also that um if you kind of like the way it looks i mean i've seen these new screens now where people you can put your nfts on your wall like art which is a pretty cool thing so that's coming as well and then i think you know again also uh, like i think the whole crypto world is all you know the counterpart is these shit coins that they have you probably know about that i'm sure right and it's very maddening to me because i, I am I, you know i was always very negative on crypto for many years because i i thought that the government would shut it down i always loved blockchain and was really negative on bitcoin I'm like okay great but there's no way the government's going to allow this to happen but for some inexplicable reason i still can't explain it, they have it doesn't make sense to me why the governments would allow us, but they did. And I think it's too much entrenched now in the system. I, I can't see the U.S. or the U.K. quickly just putting the officer. I, I, I see them taxing it. I see them regulating it. And certainly the regulation is good. It needs regulation desperately right now because uh, there is a lot of frauds and scams going on. And there's a lot of people issuing um, uh, tokens and coins that literally are just designed to separate people from their money. They have no utility. Um, they don't do anything that, that solves a problem, but they do make the founders very wealthy and a lot of innocent people very poor. And yet there's some others that are amazing, that are like that are really interesting. They're solving problems. They're doing things in a more efficient way and that are creating opportunities for people to like share music online and, and do all sorts of things, do transactions online. So there's, a, there's like anything else, there's, there's two sides to it. No, definitely. And I think you, you are right. If it hasn't been regulated by now or, or, or kind of, or stopped, as you say, it's, it's not going to be. I just want to 
you know, you're one of the hopeful travelers in the NFT space, as you were with Wall Street in that kind of more traditional investment. What what kind of differences and similarities do you see between those two worlds? I, I think the SEC is just, just insane. Like they're out of their minds. Not they they need to be regulating. They just do it. I know some NFT people will say, don't say that out loud, or, you know, the crypto people, but I, I really disagree that. I mean, I, I think the sooner this is regulated, the better it is for the market. If you go back in history, whenever the SEC or any government agencies regulated the market, it ended up getting bigger and doing better. It might be a, a temporary downward dip as soon as they start to regulate, people get nervous and, and the people that were into the quick buck are out. But eventually institutions will get involved if it gets more regulated. Sometimes like I don't do stuff because I'm like, I'm not sure what's even legal. Like, they don't like they haven't give you clarity on what's legal. So, you know, you use a lawyer and then you use your own common sense. And I guess, you know, you say, well, if it's real and I'm not trying to just manipulate something and hurt people. And it's there's no clarity, which is really a bad thing, by the way. So that's one massive difference. The second huge difference is that it's driven by individuals, most of them smaller investors and young, without a lot of institutional sponsorship. Like on Wall Street, we used to say institutional money is smart money. And even when it's not, it's enough to fuel the market. Anyway, that was a great saying we used to say when we, when you talk to an investor, you know, you say, hey, I'm buying this stock. And, you know, institutions are buying this all over Wall Street. Institutional money is smart money. When it's not, it's up to fuel the market. I mean, it's not true with crypto. It's like it's like almost the opposite. Like there's, it's not institutional. It's at least there's some coming in now, so it's becoming a little more institutionalized. But still, people will say it's a Ponzi scheme. It's all a Ponzi scheme, right? And the answer is yes and no. So if you look at it empirically, yes, it's absolutely a Ponzi scheme. In a Ponzi scheme, you're, you don't know it's a Ponzi scheme and you're, you, you think there's some existing business that's making you money. Here, it's crystal clear what's going on. Your ability to sell is based on someone else's ability to buy at a higher price. Like, there is no ifs, ands, or buts here. So, so it almost levels the playing field at some level. So, so like on Wall Street, when you're buying the S&P and you're a small investor, you're like, it's not fair. You know, the big the big companies know more than me. They're in touch with the management of these companies. Uh, you know, they're manipulating the stocks a lot more. There's these high-frequency traders beating into the punch and everything. So I think people feel like this, that they have less, believe it or not, less clarity or less insight information in, in Wall Street than in crypto. At least in crypto, it's a lot of people. It's like, who's the cutest girl in school this week? You know, who's, who's the most popular coin this week? So it's more about that. So I think you feel like you have almost a fairer shake somewhat, if you're careful, in crypto. Now, is that true? Probably not. But I think people feel that way. And uh, moving away from NFTs, uh, Jordan, if you could invest in anything right now, uh, what would it be? I, I think it would be two things. It would be cryptocurrency or... When I say, I mean, let me say blockchain, not crypto, blockchain. So crypto is a, kind of the wrong word. There's crypto by its definition, like you're, you're trying to release a coin that's going to be used as currency. I don't think that's really what this is about. It's more about blockchain technology, distributive ledgers that are being used to, to redo financial, all sorts of systems that decentralize them, right? Record keeping, financial systems. Um, so I think that's that's certainly one of the other would definitely be property right now because of inflation. I think we're only seeing the tip of the spear right now when it comes to inflation, which makes me nervous. I listen, I remember when I was very young, interest rates were 22 percent, you know, and, and um, I think there's going to be, a, um, you know, a time when 
interest rates are going to go flying up and it's going to bring down property prices for sure. So part of the increase in property right now in the United States, at least, is driven by cheap money. So you can borrow money so cheaply. So, you know, you could buy a, a, a multi-million dollar home now, even if you don't make that much money and still be able to make the payment. Because you think the interest rates are so low. That's what allows homes to keep going up in value. Interest rates are going to have to go back up. You know, inflation is just it's getting it's getting pretty bad here. I think it was six percent now. If you ask anybody, they'll tell you that it's just at six percent is not the right number. They say it's six percent, but it's much higher than that, right? So at some point, you know, property is proven to be a very powerful hedge against against inflation, and so is cryptocurrency. In terms of like the leaders that are around now, who do you admire, and who, who do you think you know is a really really good like leader in in kind of business? You know, in, in some ways, I, I love Elon Musk in some ways. And in other ways, sometimes I don't think he realizes sometimes that, that, that he'll, he'll say things offhandedly just to be funny or he's very smart, obviously clever. But people follow him and, and sometimes he'll say things flippantly and then it causes some chaos downstream. And I'm sure he's not doing it to try to hurt people. In fact, probably the opposite. And I'm sure he's a good guy, but I think as a businessman, as a visionary, he's amazing. And not just because he's rich. That's not, It's because he also laid every last dollar he had on the line with Tesla. Like he was like sleeping on the factory floor himself and almost went bankrupt. Like that to me, that's the greatest part of all of Elon Musk's story is is he really, you know, he put everything, he put his money where his mouth was and, and almost lost it all. So I think that's a great thing. He's a, and uh, that's certainly someone I respect. I always respect a Warren Buffett because I just think he's so, because even though I don't agree with a lot of things he says too, like, you know, he hates crypto. He thinks it's poison. And I understand why he says that because I said that a lot too in the past. But, um, but I think one of the things I've learned is that you can respect someone, you can model them, but not all of them. You can, you know, take parts of someone, attributes of their personality, attributes of how they do business, but and then discard the parts that you don't admire as much. Uh, and I think that's a really good way to go about finding your mentors and your and the models you choose to to uh, to uh, to use when you're building your own business. That you can take the best from from a few different people. I know that's really interesting uh, there, Jordan. But yeah, I just want to talk about you now and, and your kind of personal life. So what 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 is next for Jordan Belfort? I'm doing a lot of stuff right now. I always do a lot of consulting with companies, which is, you know, a big part of my business where I work with companies on their, you know, overall strategy, their sales, their marketing, branding. I'm doing a lot of branding stuff myself, launching new, new products with my brand. I think I'm going to be doing a lot of that over the next five or 10 years. And um, yeah, and I think, you know, in this metaverse, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly positioning myself to be hopefully a thought leader in that space and someone blazing with trail. Um, in the past, I've been very slow. I haven't. I've been behind the curve with the stuff in the past because with like social media, because, you know, I'm from a different generation. It just was very difficult for me to wrap my arms around this whole thing. But I, I'm at a point now where I think I, I have a pretty solid grasp on where things are going to go. And um, while it might not be part of my DNA, certainly I know more than enough about it and in the right circles where I I think I have a good handle on where things are going over the next few years, and I'm positioning myself uh, to be a leader in that space. Thanks again for your time today, Jordan, and some great insights and, and really, really good uh, to speak to you. Just, did you have any final words uh, for the business leader audience? Just, an, I think it's an exciting, I think it's an exciting, incredible time to be alive. I think that 
you know, you're watching in real time the remaking of the global financial system. And um, I think that for those people that are in, in, the, in the UK and uh, the US, just remember that we have a very sort of first world centric view of finance. Like there's a lot of countries out there that need a stable currency. They, they're, they're underbanked, underfinanced. And uh, so I think that there's a lot of good that cryptocurrency and decentralized finance can do. So remember, don't always have such a US or UK centric view of the world. It's a big world out there. And when you make your investment decisions, just remember that, that, you know, don't just say, why would anyone want a, a currency? Well, a lot of these countries don't have one, but you know, they wake up and it's that it's 50% less valuable than it was the day before. And that's it. And you know, also just be very careful when you invest um, in anything. I, I think NFTs are something you should look at, but just very carefully and only invest what you can afford to lose, especially at this point where it's a nascent market. Um, if you're going to be, remember you're speculating, you know, it's, it's speculation. So be very careful.